0: well let us turn again to God's word in the portion of scripture we were reading Isaiah 54 Isaiah chapter 54 I'll read from verse 4 through 8 Isaiah 54 verse 4 fear not for thou shalt not be ashamed neither be thou confounded for thou shalt not be put to shame for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more for thy maker is thine husband the Lord of hosts is his name and thy redeemer the Holy One of Israel the God of the whole earth shall he be called for the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirits the wife of youth when thou wast refused saith thy God for a small moment have I forsaken thee but with great mercies will I gather thee in a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee saith the Lord thy Redeemer and the words in particular that I want to seek to dwell on are those that we find uh, here in in verse verse 5 beginning of verse 5 thy maker is thine husband for thy maker is thine husband I've read several verses and we'll make some reference to what is said in the context of what we have there at the beginning of that fifth verse but uh, remember the context more generally the ministry of the prophet uh, who uh, is preaching about a hundred years before the Babylonian captivity when Jerusalem would be sacked the temple Lay to the ground the people carried away into exile but he does speak of these things but also he speaks very much how that will not be the end for Judah that Jerusalem will yet be re-inhabited that God will save a remnant and even when the prophet receives his call and his commission and we have the detail of that there in the, uh, in the sixth chapter, he's given that, uh, that word of uh, assurance by the Lord God that there will be a people yet, though it be a very small remnant. The end of chapter six, he asks the question, Lord, how long? And the answer comes, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate or that that was going to be for them then as God's judgment because of their sins because of their idolatrous ways Jerusalem besieged by the Babylonians falling the people removed far away as it says in verse 12 the Lord hath removed men far away and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land but yet in it shall be a tenth and it shall return says the Lord God there is the promise then of restoration and again in chapter 10 and verse 21 the remnant shall return even the remnant of Jacob the mighty God and so here in the portion that we've just been reading there's reference to these same events that did come to pass that he says in verse 7 for a small moment have I forsaken thee? but with great mercies will I gather thee in a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee saith the Lord thy Redeemer and so we do well to take account of the history that lies behind the words of the prophecy of Isaiah he is ministering in a very real situation is God's servants there to uh, in particular little Judah that's remnant really just the two tribes uh, Judah and uh, Benjamin the other tribes in the north, Israel they'd already been scattered as it were to the four winds by the Assyrians but God would yet preserve his ancient covenant people but whilst we take account of the historical context as I've said many a time we are to surely recognise that what we have here is gospel prophecy there's no doubt about that when we read as we did this morning the content of that 53rd chapter it's quite a remarkable account of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus God's righteous servant. As he's described in that chapter. How detailed is the uh, account, and how we see its accomplishment in every part in the ministry, and certainly in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, uh, when we come here into uh, chapter 54, and the opening words of the chapter, Sing O Baron. Thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. Thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. We see how the Apostle Paul takes up these words when he's writing there in the New Testament, in the epistle to the Galatians. And in chapter 4 of that epistle, look at the language that we have verse 21 following he's dealing of course with uh, the churches in Galatia that have been bedeviled by those legalists who want to bring them as it were under the law of Moses the gospel of the grace of God in Christ said these legalists is not enough for salvation men have uh, something to do themselves they have to become debtors to the law in some sense how in our fallen nature we're so wedded to the idea of works wedded to the thought of a covenant of works something to be done but how Paul addresses these uh, believers in the churches in Galatia tell me ye that desire to be under the law do ye not hear the law for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bond woman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem which now is, and is in bondage with her children but Jerusalem which is above is free which is the mother of us all for it is written rejoice thou barren that bearest not break forth and cry thou that travailest not for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband you see how here in verse 27 Paul is appealing to the very words that we have at the opening of Isaiah 54 and this scripture is fulfilled Paul is saying in the gospel and he says at verse 28 now we brethren as Isaac was are the children of promise what we have here then before us this morning is the promise of the gospel and it uh, is clear here that we have uh, the, the calling of sinners of the Gentiles having uh, that great uh, prophetic 53rd chapter we come into the next chapter and here at verse 2 enlarge the place of thy tent let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation spare not lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited and so we're not exaggerating anything in the Word of God that's before us this morning if we say that this has to do with this day of grace in which we're living. All of this is fulfilled in the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, bearing these things in mind, I want us to come to these verses that I've read from verse 4 through 8 for our text. Thy maker is thine husband, this is the great promise. But let us look more carefully at the words. Who is the one that is being spoken of? Who is the one who is the great subject matter of this gospel promise, which we have particularly here in verse 5? For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel the God of the whole earth shall he be called we see a number of truths concerning this one who stands at the very centre of the gospel of the grace of God we read of that one who is the creator thy maker it says there in verse 5 the opening part of the verse thy maker the psalmist says know ye that the Lord he is God It is he that made us, not we ourselves. And uh, what does God do in creation? He he reveals himself. All we know the heavens declare his glory and the firmament show us his handiwork. We see uh, the majesty of God, the might, the power of God in all his works of creation by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth the psalmist says he spake and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast it was simply by his word, his fear that God brought all things into being there is then a, a revelation of God he is the maker the creator of all things the invisible things of him from the creation of the earth are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and God says Paul in Romans 1 therefore are they without excuse there is no excuse for the folly of atheism the fool says in his heart there is no God and this is the God you see, that revealed to us here in the words this is the God that we see in our text this morning this gospel text he is the creator of all things and then also we see in the second place that this God is that one who is sovereign the Lord of hosts is his name In uh, Romans chapter 9 and verse 29 the apostle speaks of him as the Lord of Sabaoth. Sabaoth, simply a transliteration of the Hebrew word for host. Oh, he is the Lord of host. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he doeth according to his will, among all the armies of heaven and all the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand, and none can say to him what doest thou oh he is that one then who is over all things in heaven and in earth and now the prophet continually declares the, the glories of this God the sovereignty of this God he's dealing in many ways with the people who are bent on idolatries they're wanting to be like the nations round about them this is a hundred years before the Babylonian uh, captivity and this was the great sin of course of the people they, they were idolaters they made uh, idols like all their uh, neighboring nations and the prophet speaks against that folly and declares the sovereignty of God he says remember the former things of old for I am God and there is none else I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure for what can be likened to such a God as this to whom will ye liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like this is the challenge that the the prophet is making to the foolish idolaters there in chapter 46 the Lord God he is the sovereign God and see how he uses this name here in verse 5 the Lord of hosts is his name and Lord as we see it here in our authorised version in capital letters indicates it's a covenant name it's the great I am that I am the unchanging one. But as it reminds us of His covenant, so it reminds us of the sovereignty of His grace. Oh, that grace abounds even where sin abounds. Grace doth so much more abound. How He is determined to say and will say, He is the sovereign God. And then also here. With regards to uh, the one being spoken of we're told that he is the Holy One. The Holy One of Israel it says. He's the God of the whole earth. He's sovereign over all peoples but uh, he is that one who has a peculiar relationship with Israel. You only have I known of all the families of the earth and yet they were as sinful as any of the nations or he is the Holy One and now the prophet of course is is so mindful of that because as we've already said we have that detailed account of his call and his commission to be the Lord's servant the Lord's prophet there in chapter 6 and what is he favored to see he sees a vision Of the throne of God. King Uzziah had died. The king was dead. Long live the king. You see there is a king who never dies. There is a throne that's never vacated. And that's what he sees there in the sixth chapter. He's in the temple and he has this vision of God and his glory. And uh, he describes it, and the the angels, those seraphim, those burning ones, those bright creatures, those sinless creatures, all about the throne of God. And what do they cry? One said unto another, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory oh he is thrice holy his holy father his holy son his holy spirit the great mystery of the doctrine of the trinity that God is one Here we Israel the Lord our God is one Lord and yet though he be one he is three three in one and one in three we're coming to this name uh, That we have thine husband. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called thine husband. Now, doesn't that speak of union? A man and his wife the Lord God, the husband of Israel and The Lord Jesus Christ, the, the bridegroom Of his bride, which is the church And it's interesting to, to think of union It struck me this week I, I was reading, uh, reading a, a sermon by an old Scots minister And it was just something he said That really struck me quite forcibly He quotes A word of scripture. There in 1 Corinthians 6.17. And the word is he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. He that is joined to the Lord. The believer who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And I thought on that. And it struck me. Union. What is union? Well, the closest of all unions. The closest of all Relationships. Is of course that that we see when we think of God, when we think of the the unity that's in the Godhead. That God is one, and yet God is three persons. He is God the Father. He is God the Son. He is God the Holy Spirit. But not three gods. One God. And we cannot really comprehend how this can be. But I say again, it must be the, the closest and the most intimate of any union that is ever possible. Or where reason fails with all her powers, there faith prevails and love adores. That's the, the most wonderful union of all. The God is one God in three persons. But there's a, a second union that is like unto that when we think of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ when we think of of God manifest in the flesh it's what the um, theologians call the hypostatic union that in the Lord Jesus Christ there is one person and yet in that one person there are those two natures because he is God and he is man but the two natures aren't mixed together, they're distinct natures, and yet he is one person. And the wonder of it, even when he's a little babe, so dependent on his mother, is a real man-child, is a true human, and yet that little babe is never anything less than the eternal Son of God. He's one person. And it's brought out of course in the language of the creeds. You know those three great creeds of the early church. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed. And the Athanasian Creed is named after Athanasius who was the great champion concerning the true doctrine of the person of the Lord Jesus as God. Equal to the Father, equal to the Holy Spirit. And uh, he didn't write this creed, but he, it's given that name at a nation after him. And this is what it says in the creed concerning the unity that's in the person of the Lord Jesus, that he is God-man. This is what the creed says. It's a long creed, but I'll just quote a short extract. Who, although he be God, and man yet he is not two but one Christ one not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh but by taking of the manhood into God one altogether not by confusion of substance but by unity of person not by confusion of substance but by unity of person it's like unto that first great mystery which is God God is one and yet God is three and Christ is one person and yet in that one person there are two natures and then when we come to think of human relationships well the most intimate of all human relationships of course is that between a man and his wife now that's clear. That is the teaching of the word of God. They become one flesh. The consummation of the union. And We have it there right at the beginning, Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. That's the most intimate of all human relationships. And yet you know there is a, a relationship that we as human beings can know that is closer than that. And I come then to what I was reading earlier in the week, and the text there in First Corinthians six seventeen he that is joined to the Lord he is one spirit. A man and his wife have one flesh the believer who is joined to the Lord is one spirit there's no union more intimate than that and that the Lord you see should take this name unto himself thy maker is thine husband oh this is the one that's spoken of here in this great promise of the gospel thy maker is thine husband and uh, well you know how the Lord Jesus so loves the church that he gave himself for her and so what do we read here in the text here in this fifth verse he's thy redeemer oh he's thy redeemer and it's a great word this word redeemer as we have it in the Old Testament it speaks of the kinsman. Redeemer, The kinsman redeemer. We're told in Leviticus 25 and verse 25. That if uh, a man had become so poor in Israel. That he'd sold all his possession. There was one who might be able to. Redeem that possession for him. His nearest kinsman. His nearest kinsman. Was the one he was to look to. And the whole idea is further explained it's there in Leviticus 25.25 25, but it's it's explained in a little more detail in Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy 25 and verse 5 if brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her and it shall be that the firstborn which he beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead that his name be not put out of Israel that's the kinsman redeemer not just redeeming the man's possession but redeeming his name in Israel and of course this is what lies behind what we're told concerning Boaz and Ruth remember uh, husband Marlon had died and here is Ruth she's returned with her mother-in-law Naomi to Bethlehem and she's desolate she's a widow childless but the near kinsman is Boaz and remember how we've well, considered it in times past, something of the history that we have there in the book of Ruth in chapter three and again in chapter four. In chapter three she's lying at the at the feet of, of Boaz, and he says, Who art thou? And she says, I am Ruth thine handmaid. Spread forth therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Or he is the one who is to redeem. Her position, as it were, as the wife of Marlon, there in Israel. Spread thy skirt over me, for thou art a near kinsman. There was a kinsman nearer, but he he doesn't want to take on that responsibility at all. That's the story, isn't it? There in chapters 3 and 4. So it is Boaz who takes the desolate Ruth to him he does spread his skirt over her and you know that's the imagery that we have in Ezekiel with regards to the Lord and his dealings with poor desolate sinners that great 16th chapter a long 16th chapter there in uh, the book of Ezekiel and what do we read? Uh, verse, uh, verse 8 The Lord God speaking to Israel when I passed by thee and looked upon thee. Behold thy time was a time of love and I spread my, sk- my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness Yea I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee saith the Lord God and thou a smart Then washed I thee with water, yea, I throughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with broidered work, and shod thee with badger skin, and I girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. I decked thee also with ornaments, and I put bracelets upon thy hands, and a chain on thy neck, and I put a jewel on thy forehead, and earrings in thine ears, and a beautiful crown upon thine head thus was thou decked with gold and silver and thy raiment was of fine linen and silk and broidered work thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil and thou wast exceeding beautiful and thou didst prosper into a kingdom it's the same imagery you see it's the work of the kinsman redeemer and we think of the the language of, of Job Concerning the Lord Jesus, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. It's the same word that we have here in verse 5, thy Redeemer. Oh, it's the Lord Jesus who is the fulfillment, of course. He is that Redeemer, he is that kinsman. But as much then as the children were partakers of flesh and blood we are told that we likewise took part of the same he doesn't take upon him the seed, the, the nature of the angels he takes upon him the seed of Abraham he's made in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin who oh, is the great redeemer he is the bridegroom of the church is the husband of every believer and he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit or the intimacy of that blessed relationship the one that's being spoken of then in this gospel passage but let us look a little before we close this morning we'll come back to these verses later but God willing we'll come back to them but just a little about the ones who are being spoken to We said something with regards to the subject the subject matter of the promise who's being spoken of but who's being spoken to? Well the opening words of the text fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more for and then those ver- words we were just looking at in verse 5 concerning uh, thy maker thine husband and then again at verse 6 for the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and greed in spirit and a wife of youth when thou wast refused saith thy God or the one spoken to who are these as sinners this uh, word is addressed to sinners Oh, we know all of sins all of sin then comes short of the glory of God but alas all the multitudes dead in trespasses and sins though so all of sinners in God's sight there are but few so in their own to such as these our Lord was sent. They're only sinners who repent. It's those who, who have some sense of where they are, surely. What do we read concerning those who are being addressed? They're ashamed. Thou they shalt not be ashamed, it says. Thou shalt not be put to shame. Thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth. Look at the words that we have here in verse 4. Three times we have that word shame. In fact, in a sense, we have it four times. Because the expression, neither be thou confounded. The beginning there, fear not thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded. It literally means to to put to shame. To blush with shame. That's the idea. It's the parallelism, isn't it, that we see in God's word here, certainly in the Old Testament, the Hebrew language you get the same truth repeated the use of, of different expressions, synonyms as it were thou shalt not be ashamed neither shalt thou be put uh, neither be thou confounded for thou shalt not be put to shame for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth what an emphasis there is here then on shame on shame I've referred to already to the language that we have there in that 16th chapter of Ezekiel look again at what we read in the early part of that particular chapter in Ezekiel 16 at verse 2 son of man cause Jerusalem to know her abomination." and say thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan thy father was an Amorite thy mother an Hittite and as for thy nativity in the day thou wast born thy navel was not cut neither was thou washed in water to supple thee thou wast not salted at all nor swaddled at all verse 6 when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, Lift. Yea, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, Lift. Oh, the Lord, you see, what does he say here to the prophet? Cause Israel to know her abominations, or oh, she's to know what she is. The Lord will have his people. To understand what their true state is. Cause them to be ashamed. In verse 6. The Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken. And grieved in spirit a wife of youth. When thou wast refused. Again the language that we have here. Here is one who feels forsaken. Here Here is one Who's grieving? When the Lord deals with these people, does He not bring them to that? They, they grieve over what they are. They feel themselves forsaken, cut off, refused. They reflect on their lives and the sins of their lives. He grieves them. He fills them with shame. Oh, my life with shame. My sins confess against thy law, against thy grace. The language that we have there in the hymn 761 is really a paraphrase, it's Isaac Watts's paraphrase of parts of Psalm 51. You know, he wrote a paraphrase, didn't he, of all the Psalms. And uh, he tells us in the preface to, the, uh, to his uh, paraphrases of the Psalms that he is attempting, as it were, to to put the Psalms in Christian dress. And how the believer feels the truth of what he says in that little couplet we just quoted. My lips with shame, my sins confess against thy law, against thy grace. All oh, we sin not only against the Lord of God, transgressors of the law, but how we despise the grace of God. Our folly. Again, the language that we have in that 16th chapter of Ezekiel. The end of the book, or the end of the chapter, I should say. Ezekiel 6, 62 I will establish my covenant with thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, that thou mayest remember and be confounded, and never open thy mouth any more because of thy shame, when I am pacified towards thee for all that thou hast done saith the Lord God oh when God comes and we know peace with God through the sacrifice of Christ that one who is the propitiation for our sins that one who was born the wrath of God that was our just desert peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ what does he say there when he establishes that covenant it's the covenant of grace, it's the gospel it's what we have in these verses that we're considering here this morning the gospel of the grace of God when we know it, are we not ashamed when we think of our past lives when we think of our present lives we continually feel that we are yet falling short of the glory of God. The psalmist says it, Psalm 44 and verse 15, My confusion is continually before me, and the shame of my face hath covered me. Or are we those friends who stand in need then of such a gospel? How does it begin, the text? Fear not. Fear not there are many fear not and they are addressed to those shamefaced faced ones those uh, grieving ones great fear not we find here in this uh, book of the prophet in chapter 41 for example look at what he says here at verse 10 fear thou not I like that it's not just fear not But the singular pronoun is inserted there in the middle. It's so personal, so direct to an individual. Fear thou not, for I I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And then again at verse 13, I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not I will help thee fear not thou worm Jacob and ye men of Israel I will help thee saith the Lord and thy Redeemer the Holy One of Israel oh he's the Redeemer of his people and yet he's the Holy One the God who can by no means clear the guilty, but how Christ has paid the price of their redemption and so the Holy One is also their Redeemer. And the words of our text, Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more, for thy Maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called for the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth when thou wast refused saith thy God for a small moment have I forsaken thee but with great mercies will I gather thee in a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee saith the Lord thy Redeemer oh the Lord be pleased and to bless his word to us we'll come back if the Lord will and consider something more from this great gospel promise the Lord bless his word to us let us now sing our concluding concluding praise this morning it's the hymn 580 the Tune King's College 716 my soul with holy wonder views the love the Lord the Saviour shows to wretched dying man so strange so boundless is his grace he takes the vilest of our race with him to live and reign he'll charm them with a holy kiss and make them know what union is He will draw them to his breast, a smiling eye upon them cast, which brings them to his feet in haste, each singing, I am blessed. 580, tune 716.